Thanks for listening to the Stimulate Run podcast. If you like what you hear, remember to subscribe, leave a rating and a review. If you would like to get in touch or have future guest suggestions, please make contact via email or slide into DMs on any of the social channels. Here's your host, Erwin, with this episode's guest. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Stimulate Run podcast. Lucky enough to uh, spend some time with this talented athlete who I was just saying off air keeps a pretty low profile, so it'd be good to just just uncover a little bit about her, but not too much, so she still keeps that uh, mystique. And we have Nera Jerab on the line. How are you, Nera? I'm very well, thanks, Owen. Thanks for having me today. So I'd like you to pronounce your last name correctly, please, because I think we need to just well and truly put this one to bed for everybody else. <laughs> Correctly, as in the way it is, the, or the absolute correct way to do it, as your parents would. Yareb. There you go. And <laughs> do you want to tell me the full background then um, of where you're from? And because there's a hint of an accent there. Yeah, I was born in Croatia. Um, I came over to Australia when I was nine years of age with zero knowledge of the English language. Um, so we came over, my rallies owned a few plantations up in Carnarvon, country town about a thousand k's north of Perth. Um, so obviously that was my dad's first cousin and he asked if we'd come up, come to Australia and help them help them work. And obviously the war was just about to start over in the old Yugoslavia. So my dad thought, well, there's probably no future for us or our kids here. We might as well we were offered obviously permanent residency by coming over to work with family. So we literally received that one day within a week, we were gone. Um, and yeah, arrived in Australia thinking we'd be here for three years and then go back home. And that three years has been nearly 30 years now. And did, did your parents actually think long-term they wanted to come here or do you think it was really like a three-year thing and going straight back or... Have you ever asked them think, that now? Yeah, I think they always wanted to go back. I think like by memory, I remember my mom cried for the first whole year. You know, we've landed in this town of Carnarvon, which is just bushland and, you know, and we never enjoyed, obviously, growing vegetables and stuff. Well, even when we were in Croatia, obviously, there was a lot of that over there, but that was not something that we would ever have gotten into. Yeah. Um, so, so to you know, land in Carnarvon, which is a very small country town, very isolated. There was a big Croatian pop, um, community up there, which was which was good. But yeah, it was never going to be a forever, forever home. That's for sure. Do you think, well, this is just digressing a little bit, but like my wife <laughs> comes from an Italian background and yeah. the whole market garden thing for me just blew my mind because we go to Coles, see veggies and fruit yeah, and that's yeah. Whereas when you're actually exposed to how it was and still is, you sit there yeah. and go, wow, like this is just like a, another universe. And like then when you start getting things fresh from a garden, you almost mm. turn into this fruit and veg snob. And you, <laughs> you know, like, but being exposed to the different world of it, does that, you know, your friends would have had no idea about what. No, you would have I mean, got. yeah, it was, it, it, I mean, that's all I guess thinking back now that's all we knew you know we were I was I guess I started working when I was 10 years old and that's you know not that I was made to but you know if my parents were 
in the shed packing till 10 o'clock at night. You kind of, you don't come home from school and go, oh, well, I'm going to bed, see you later. You mm. sort of think, well, you've got to give them a hand to so that they can finish earlier as well. So I think, you know, as as 12 year olds, we were working 30, 40 hours a week. You know, you'd go to school, you'd come home, you work till 10 o'clock at night, you do your homework on the bus on the way to school. And then you spend your weekends, you know, picking in 10 hours a day. So it was all that we sort of knew it was no, you know, and then now, obviously, you know, you, we've got different careers. You just sort of find, well, this is pretty easy. I get to sit in an office all day. Yes, you work long hours, but it, I think that's where it all sort of started. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and even like things around quality, you know, where, you know, you would have grown up getting things purely straight directly. Whereas now it's almost like the best goes off. Well, and those are things that I had no idea about. Yeah, it's funny though, when we lived up there, I never ate bananas and I never ate mangoes. And now my two favorite fruits are bananas and mangoes now that I'm not exposed to it. <laughs> and I have to pay for it now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's things that you just absolutely take for granted until you were just getting them readily available. And Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't all hard work. We had some good fun, had some tomato fights and, you know, <laughs> the... <laughs> and in terms of family, you've got a sister. Um, any other siblings? I've got an older brother as well. Yeah. He's four years older um, and just mum and dad here. So, oh, nice. and some so cousins. your parents, yeah. do they ever, so they obviously stayed. Do they ever look back and uh, think about what kept them here or was there ever a thing for them to go back? Yeah. I mean, my dad's still semi, like he's going to retire in the next couple of years and his ideal world would be spending six months here, six months over in Croatia. Whereas my mum's, you know, she was the one that always wanted to go back and she's done the complete turnaround and, you know, she's never going back there. Why would she go back there with the kids are here and grandkids are here? And yeah. so, yeah, so I think they probably will spend a bit more time over there. But um, for me, I think it's, it isn't really home anymore. I guess I was so young when I left that I don't mind going there for a holiday. But again, you know, I still want to see other parts of the world. So mm. it's it's not somewhere where I'd probably spend a lot of time in the future. And career-wise, um, how did you choose what you did? Um, did you always enjoy the area or were you pushed, you know, in a, in a good way to um, even for your career to go down that path? Yeah, I've always liked math. So I went to uni to sort of become a tax accountant. Um, and while I was at uni, I worked for an insurance broking company and uh, they had a financial planning arm attached to the company. And when I was deciding what to major in, I thought, oh, I might do accounting and finance. It'll give me a bit more options just in case I decide, you know, tax accounting wasn't what I wanted to do. So, so I ended up working at that company and obviously majored in accounting and, and finance. And then when I finished my degree, they said, oh, do you want to stick around and move to our financial planning arm, given that you've got a degree, you know, majoring in that? So I thought, oh, yeah, I might give it a go and see how we go. And I actually never ended up in accounting. So I got this accounting degree that I never actually used. So, um, yeah, and so, I don't know, 17, 18 years later, and I think it never, was the right decision. You never take it <laughs> off you, though, right? You've always got it. No. <laughs> always say to That's people right. that are testing whether they should or shouldn't do something. It's like nobody can ever take it off you and you don't know where it's going to take you as well so. no that's right so but yeah no I really enjoy what I do and um like I said it's 18 years later and I still get excited by coming into the office every day and as sad as that sounds some days 
well when we've seen the view that you've got behind you I can understand why as well <laughs> um so running then so how did this all come about were you it was it a school thing um again where you pushed to jump into some kind of sport um yeah where did the interest come from and uh some of the places your journey has taken you yeah so I never really ran at school I think we never had athletics training or anything like that the we had two days a year where we ran and that was the the faction carnival and the inter-school carnival and that were the only two days a year that we really ran at school I remember in yeah 11 I did the 1500 and um there was only three of us that entered the 1500 it was me my sister and one of the teachers and I sort of obviously as you do not knowing anything about running you go out for full gas for the first 400 meters and then just about walk the the last couple of laps <laughs> but that was pretty much as much running as I did in high school I ended up um I did martial arts from the age of probably 11 to I was about in my early 20s I did mm -hmm. karate um and I competed at an international level till I was probably 21 and then I'm obviously when I moved down to Perth for uni, the it was the same style, but the club was a little bit different. So I just didn't really enjoy it as much at that point. And it took me a couple of years to decide, yes, I've invested 10 years of mine and my parents hard, you know, hard work dropping me off, but is it worth investing any more time in this given that I'm not actually enjoying it? Or am I just wasting my time and being here just because I feel guilty and that I should be here? Yeah. Um, so at that point in time, I sort of gave it away and decided to try something different. And a friend of mine was doing triathlon. So she said to me, oh, you know, do you want to, do you want to give this a go? I said, oh, I, I can't really swim. Like I'll swim 50 meters. And, you know, I said, Croatians don't swim. <laughs> um, she's like, oh, it's not that hard. It can't be that hard to learn how to swim. I'll, I'll take you down to the pool. Um, so we went for a, for a swim and I think she regretted every minute of it she thought what on earth have I got myself into <laughs> wow. so this was purely learning from scratch yeah I mean I oh, wow. did swimming lessons at school yeah. but again we'd do two or three weeks a year and you know we never really learned how to swim as kids I mean us swimming was really sitting in the shallow end at the beach yeah um, I swim so, to survive almost if you whatever you did exactly learn was, yeah breaststroke yeah. was the thing we did there was no <laughs> such thing as freestyle <laughs> um <laughs> So I ended up joining a squad because I thought, no, this will be good for me. It's something out of my comfort zone. Um, and that's really why I moved into the longer distance triathlons because I knew I was never going to be competitive in the short ones given the swim was a, a really important part of it. Whereas I thought, oh, you know, the Ironman stuff, you've got all day to catch up. So the swim is only a short, short part of it. And obviously that's where I started running as well. Yeah, so fast forward, we'll come back to this, but I'd love yeah. to know, how do you think your time in Ironman has helped you even with your current running? Um, I guess it's that you build that endurance. Um, and I've always had pretty good endurance. My Obviously, my weakness has always been the speed. So I've never had top-end speed. You know, I knew if I could run a 10K at four minute Ks, I won't run much slower for like a marathon. So for me, it was always really important. I'm never going to get better over the longer stuff until I get better over the shorter stuff. So I don't know, I th almost think the Ironman stuff maybe hasn't benefited me that much because you never run super fast. Um, 
you know, it's, it's an endurance event. What did you just run your time trial on at the weekend though? Your 10K? Well, that, <laughs> that was though more so obviously now working on the shorter stuff and that's yeah. what I need to be doing, you know. I just sort of think I'll be fooling myself to think I'm going to run a faster marathon if I can't improve a 10K time. Yep. So you really got to drop it down to the basics and, you know, get faster over the three, the five, the 10 to be able to convert it to to a good marathon. Yeah, and I suppose probably the Ironman stuff might have also been more of a mental benefit. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's now going yes. to roll to that marathon. And then also when you do need to go to the well in a speed session, it's, it's yeah. almost all going to be relative yes yeah oh, and I think I mean like you said yeah it pro- definitely probably has helped in the mental side of things but I've always also found a marathon a lot harder than an Ironman you know an Ironman you, you're not never on that limit you know you're out there for 10 odd hours so you pace yourself all day whereas in a marathon from the word go you know you're feeling uncomfortable from that first K so um yeah so I, I guess they're very, very different. I mean, I think still very beneficial either way, but mm-hmm. two very different sports. And then when did you have the, I'm not bad at this moment? Like, did somebody tap you on the shoulder or was it more of a, a self-reflection going, actually, I'm pretty good at this. Let's take it seriously. Um, probably only a, maybe in 2019 where, I mean, I never really thought I was that great, you know, running a three-hour marathon. I don't think, that's you know if you look at I think in WA we are in a little bit of a bubble you know we are a very small state and if you look outside of WA you know when there's runners that are so much more talented than what we are so you know running even when I ran a 244 I thought well yeah that's still way off you know that's not I'm not I'm no better than any anyone else I've just, I'm just, just really worked hard Probably when I got to that 3.37 in Gold Coast a couple of years ago and I ran a 1.15 half, I sort of thought, oh, okay, I haven't actually done that much different here. You know, if I put in a little bit of extra work, maybe I can get a bit better. So yeah. probably, yeah, only a couple of years ago. All right. and But the interesting thing is you would have had people telling you though as well, even before that. So like you mentioned, when you broke three hours, being in WA, you probably had, those pe- like people saying, oh, like, you know, pushing you and um, probably putting pressure on to do a lot more maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you keep yourself grounded from that aspect? Oh, I guess realistically, I think you've got to be honest with yourself and know, you know, yes, people can be telling you that that's really good, but deep down, you know yourself whether that is and to your standard, is that really good or not? And I never, like I said, even when I ran 244, I actually didn't think that was that big a deal because it's so many other people run that. So, you know, what makes you any better than those people out there? And I guess for me, obviously keeping grounded, I I mean, I work really long hours and my work is really important to me. And I've never, I've always said, I'm happy. I, I train because I enjoy it and I race because I enjoy it. But at the end of the day, I don't, I've not sacrificed, you know, my career or anything for that, I'd, you know, I've not, there's no way I would ever work part-time as such. You know, when, last year I tried to do four days a week for a short period before going to Japan, mm-hmm. which obviously never eventuated. And that was really good, but that was like a two, three month stint. So I really enjoyed, but at the end of the day, it's still, you know, I've, and I want to get better and I want to run well, but it is still a hobby at the end of yep. the day. And if the crossover from that is your days were probably at work for longer. You know, you probably yeah. 10 hour days 
but you got oh, I mean, the day like off last... and yeah. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, you know, my boss said to me, you know, you can, you know, I know you'll get the job done, do what you need to do. So they know, you know, the work still needs to be done. So, um, but yeah, our normal days are like, I left here just before seven last night and I was in the office at seven this morning. Yeah. So it's, you know, you still got to, you got to get the job done. And in terms of overall balance, it's probably, you might be one of those people that you need to work. Like I know a lot of people who might have a crack at it, let's say, mm. take three months off work, living this professional lifestyle, but they can't deal with running at 9am and mm. having the whole day to sit on the couch. And whereas you probably <laughs> need that 10 hour yeah. work day, knowing that, you, and then running is well and truly a release from work. Oh, for sure. I mean, look, no doubt it would be nice to get some downtime and recovery instead mm -hmm. of going from one thing to another. But, you know, I'm currently running about 140k a week, whether I worked or not, my body probably can't run any more than 140k a week. So apart from recovery, there's not much, you know, apart from recovery and the temptation to do more and get injured, there's probably not much more training wise I can do. Yeah. And then how do so, you make it fit? Like in reality sense, you know, like a day to day or week to week, how are you? Yeah. How does that look for you? Like, do you run at 5am in the morning and then are you doubling or is that a cycle that you go through? Yeah, for me, it's, it depends on what my diary looks like for the day. So, yeah. you know, Friday I had to go down to that, to Bustleton for, to see some clients because obviously the half got cancelled and I still had these appointments booked in and a few people messaged me laughing going, you know, why did you run at four? 30 a.m. I said, well, I had to be in Bustleton for the first meeting at nine o'clock. So the only time that I was going to be able to fit a run in was at 4.30 in the morning before I left home. Um, other days, you know, I'll run first thing in the morning. And then if I've got a two hour break during the day that I don't have appointments, I'll jump out for a run, which means I can stay back at night and not have to rush off. So, so I guess where I run is dictated by what the day looks like. Um, and obviously if I've got a session at night, I'll just make sure that you know, I'll work around that. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of even internalizing a lot and in terms of preparation, you know, the rec runner, we really worry about just turning up and racing the clock almost. Whereas mm. with you, you, you almost have to worry about who else is going to be there, but not. So how much, let's say percentage wise, do you worry yeah. about if there's going to be somebody there, are they going to go out hard? Or do you just turn mm. up to a race and just run? I mean, you always turn up to a race and just run, I think. But at the end of the day, I would prefer that all the, you know, all the people that are better than me turn up because I find that I can always get more out of myself if there are people there that are better than me. And mm -hmm. I'm never afraid of losing. I actually think losing is a good thing. You know, you learn so much from each race. And, you know, just because I don't win doesn't mean that I haven't had a good day. I would always much prefer to to run a really good run by my standards than to win and have a really poor day. Um, for example, last year I won the Bustleton half marathon and I was really disappointed because I thought I was in better shape than what I actually was. And then the next morning I swam the jetty swim and I think I was 57th female, but it couldn't wipe the smile on my face because I swam quicker than I've you know ever thought was possible. Yeah. So just because you win doesn't actually mean that, you know, that, that's satisfying or or that's yeah it's interesting to know because potentially from our point of view where we look at you guys it's 
it's almost like your whole plan could be thrown off within the first kilometer because somebody's gone off way too hard. So you've then got to decide, do I go with that person or do I just sit back here and be a kilometer back and hope like hell they blow up? Um, oh, for sure. And look, I still get caught up in, a, you know, if there's three or four girls and we're all around the same speed and they go, I oh, will probably go too because you can't, you know, to a certain extent, you know, if they drop a three minute K, I'm definitely not going to be there. But you have to keep them in, obviously, in inside because you don't and I have lost races like that before um so you've got to make a judgment call I think of what you think you are capable of versus you know is this going to be a massive blow up and in terms of like you're very grounded uh and um it just sounds like you've always been and it's your upbringing by the sounds of it as well mm. where you know you guys probably kept to yourselves and you just worked hard and you you do reap the rewards of it but there's no noise and you go about your business. Are you, do you do that on purpose or is it something that just comes naturally? I think it's just the way I am. I think I'm not the sort of, I'm not an influencer yeah. <laughs> as such. Um, I guess I'd rather be seen as more of a role model to younger kids than an influencer. Um, and I'm not, I guess, putting things up on you know social media and stuff that doesn't come naturally to me it's not something that I I enjoy it's very uncomfortable for me I, I don't I just don't I don't like talking about myself yeah but you you are very much an actions do the talking kind of thing you know if yeah. you go out and blow the doors off um, a race for you that is putting something up in lights yeah, but that's, I guess for me, you know, if I have a good race, that's rewarding for me and I'm happy with that. Same as if I have a bad race. I don't think I need to tell the world why I had a bad race. Mm. I think we can all have bad races. It's not, you know, it's not something that we have to justify. And, you know, every time we line up at a race, you're there for yourself. You, you're there to try and better your own performance, better your own standards. It's always nice to win, but I think my goal has always been, I want to get better myself. I want to run a faster time. If that means winning, great. If it doesn't, well, that's not number one priority. And again, coming back to your career, it's almost like your career mm. reflects though, because in your life, running is still well and truly a hobby. So it hasn't become a, a search for something. You know, you're not trying to gain mass followers or that, that's not the priority of running. Like you run purely for its pure form. Yeah, and, and like work is no different, you know, I almost think I get that same adrenaline rush coming in, you know, to, and doing certain things at work. Um, and I think they almost complement each other because working long hours, you actually need something else to, you know, to, to get out and, and blow some steam off. So, you know, if, I'm, if I've had a busy day, it's nice to get out during, the, you know, in the afternoon and go for a run and, and just get some fresh air. So, um, yeah, I think it's all balanced really at the end of the day. You don't, running is a part of life, but it shouldn't be, well, it's not my life, but mm -hmm. it is a big part of it. And obviously I, I had a, quite a major injury a couple of years ago and that was a really good wake up call for me to say, yes, I couldn't run for eight months. Yes, I didn't exercise for four, but yes, I missed it. But there was other things in life that, you know, that I had that, that sort of covered that time that I used to spend running. So, and um mileage of the mileage and the sessions prepare you physically and yeah mentally as a byproduct but is there anything that you do specifically uh for on the mental training side of things no, i don't really 
think about it, to be honest, that much. It's I just sort of think of, especially, I mean, every time you turn up to a race, I don't, I wouldn't say I get excited. You just know it's going to hurt. But yeah. I guess I've tried to change my mindset a little bit over the last few years. And especially for a marathon, you know, you hit that 30K mark and you know it's going to be painful, but you just sort of think of it, well, you got to try and embrace that pain because you've this is all you've trained for for the whole year is for that you know that 30k mark of the marathon and this is where it counts so i guess you almost got to try and enjoy that hurt because you're only going to get it once or twice a year and that's what you've trained for you um are you very disciplined because uh, and i dare say looking back mentioned uh, martial arts and mm. the fact that you suddenly you really enjoyed that and then you've gone into a sport that requires a lot of discipline you're in a career that is let's say in a disciplined pigeonhole um yeah. how, are you that type of person um would you say uh, that i'm disciplined oh like you just you like discipline and um a lot of control um in what you do yeah i, I have been called a bit of a control freak especially at <laughs> work so <laughs> <laughs> you probably could say that and I think it's a bit it's routine as well mm-hmm. so you know what you've got to do you, that's that's your task for the day it's no different in a session this is the session this is the pace that I've got to run so it's yeah I guess it is a little bit dis- of discipline but, but it I, probably I, does come back from that martial arts background I guess that you know that is a it, that was always a big part of the sport is the discipline side of things yeah, and I, I dare say it's also a positive though, because then you know when running's done, running's done for you. Like you don't sound like the type of person you go for your session, you won't unpack it for the rest of your day. The minute you pretty no. much stop your watch, load it, it's done. You at nine o'clock you're at your desk. Ten o'clock yep. you're having a coffee. You're not still thinking back to the morning session and lunchtime thinking to the session and the afternoon. Running is within that hour and then running's finished for you. Am I right? Yeah, to that's guess? right. Yeah, and, and look, I enjoy running. I enjoy talking about it, but it'd be bloody boring if all you did all day was talk about running. Like, yeah. there's not that much to it, right? It's, and I don't like to overthink sessions. It is what it is. You get it done and you move on. There's another one in three days. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's it's such a refreshing attitude as well where it gets so overcomplicated and mm. it's almost this extreme extremism way of looking at it. And people yeah. burn out. Like I, if I said to you, I hazard to guess that in 20 years time, do you think you, you still be running or even 30 years? I dare say you'll be like, yeah, I don't care if I'm running a sub four. Um, whereas you find generalizing that a lot of people mm. in the three hour or that bracket, two, three will go, no, once it goes, I'm, I'm done. I don't want that blemish yeah. of a four and a half hour marathon. Um, yeah. Sitting there. Well, I think for me, like I said, running is more of a lifestyle. You know, it's, it's to keep fit it's social um so yeah i think in 20 years time i will still be running it i won't be you know obviously it's not going to be a competitive thing but it's more for 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 keeping fit and and healthy yeah and in terms of experiences what are some of the best experiences you've had um and then what's still on the list um i guess this probably 2019 was probably where I had my breakthrough year. So I raced Gold Coast and Melbourne and they were probably my two best races and obviously experiences coming second in Melbourne and um, top 10 in Gold Coast. Um, And obviously I still would like to get to Japan. So obviously I was supposed to be 
go over in March last year and that was cancelled due to COVID. So Japan is still on that hit list. Um, that's one. And I mean, this is probably a very big long shot, but I did promise a friend that we'd do our 10th Ironman together. And I did have this desire to try and run a sub three hour marathon off the bike, but I think that horse may have bolted. <laughs> well, I the think further you're... away that it gets, the the more unlikely that's going to happen. You're a never say never type of person. So I, I'd, <laughs> I'd be a brave person to rule it out, I think. Um, so in terms of, did you ever contemplate or would you ever contemplate moving, you know, even to do a block somewhere like a Falls Creek or or do you just go, you know what, these are the cards have been dealt and I'm just going to do the best of what I've got? I, I did think about going to Falls Creek last year, but think then obviously pulling back and thinking about it, the group of guys and girls that I train with, uh, there's a lot of them that are much faster than me. So mm -hmm. it's a big sacrifice to make to go somewhere like that and train with people that are also faster than you. I just don't think, I don't know what else, there's no perfect formula, right? So whether you're training, I think, I guess my biggest asset that I found was having people that are better than me around and being able to train with them so whether that I do that here or somewhere else I don't see how that would improve make my running that much better again if if I was to go to Falls Creek all that does is maybe give me a bit more chance of getting injured because you've got more time on your hands so you want to do a little bit more but yeah. no I think I, I don't see being in Perth and training here how that's that would obviously make it any any less desirable or less likely that I was going to perform any any worse than I would if I trained somewhere else. And it might really just throw you way off your routine, mm. you know, having spare time like you mentioned, and it's something that you're not really used to, and um, that, that might be really negative in the end. Like physically, great, but overall, yeah, might, yeah. I th I think it'd be a good experience, but I, I don't think it doesn't guarantee you any additional benefits in performance than, than, and like you said, sometimes being home and being in your comfort zone means more than exploring new, new things. Absolutely. Uh, a bit of advice to give. So running has gone a massive boom. Like you just have to go to the track on Tuesdays mm. and see uh, advice for any kids or, and specifically females um, yeah. that are out there. Um, any, like, let's say a top, three bits of advice if you could for them I guess probably don't try and peak too early you know there's no rush to 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 burn yourself out obviously like we spoke earlier you know if you push it too hard too early you won't be running in 20 years time so you know take it take it slowly um mm -hmm. live a balanced lifestyle enjoy life you know get a good education get a good career running will always be there but those things are things really important, especially early in life to make sure that you, you set yourself up in life. And then, you know, I didn't PB till I was 36. So I didn't start running till I was 20, but I made sure that I had my, my life sorted prior to that. And then you, you enjoyed them a lot more as well. So that sounds good. And a message for your younger self, if I could say you could do that now, what would it be? listen to your body <laughs> i've had seven probably i've had seven stress fractures in my right tibia mm -hmm. so probably the last one i had was about three years ago touch wood um 
And I've actually, since then, I've probably stopped a few just by learning from my mistakes early on. Obviously, when I first started running, I'd get a sore shin and I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's okay. I'll just keep running. It'll get better. And eventually it wouldn't. Whereas now I pretty much can tell straight away when it's developing into something, I'll pull back, take a week off and restart again. So I think it's that, yeah, listen to your body. And yeah, it's, it only took me about 10 years to learn that, but better late than never. <laughs> well, hopefully you just uh, helped somebody prevent some of those injuries. By <laughs> and I guess we all, you know, saying that we all sort of think, oh no, I can't have a day off. Whereas, you know, if you have not just a day, if you have a week off, it'll save you four to six weeks what it could be if you don't have that week off. So that's the way I just look at it now. You know, a week off running is not going not gonna to hurt you performance-wise that much, but it can save you, you know, up to six weeks if you, if you don't do the right thing. Yeah, we're very much a, a want-now society, right? So mm. a week seems like a lifetime, but really it's probably going to yep, save I you guess. six months. Yeah, and sometimes I think you just got to take that emotion out of it and think, think logically, or you need someone there to tell you, no, you can not run for a week. It's not that big a deal. Sound advice. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thanks so much for jumping in the hot seat. Um, no problems at all. You've done we well because it's very hard to get me here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had, I've had some uh, some persuasive help. So, uh, but yeah, thanks for jumping on. I know a few people will be pretty excited as soon as they see your name appear. So really appreciate it. No problems at all. Thanks, Owen. This episode of the Stimulate Run podcast is brought to you in partnership with Aqualite. Aqualite is a product which supports effective hydration through rapid absorption. It's formulated to replace electrolytes lost through sweat and is Australian owned and operated.